0: Well, the gift of Christmas is unwrapped. I don't know about you, but as, as Natalie just mentioned, I, I, I thrilled in watching our Christmas Eve service and the, the beauty of it and the joy of it and just the, the magnitude of celebration. And it reminded me that in so many ways, this moment, or I should say this Christmastide season, Represents the celebration of the, the fullest measure of this gift made real in the world. Emmanuel, God with us. Wrapped in infant, vulnerable, frail flesh. But nevertheless, God with us. Emmanuel in all of its beauty, and all of its magnitude, and all of its glory. What a gift. But I suppose, if I'm really honest with myself, as I stand in awe of this beautiful, amazing gift, I have to ask: Now what? What's next? Let me let you in on a little insight into post-Christmas uh, um, activity as 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 we were gathered with family down in in Maryland and Virginia over the, uh, the course of the holiday. On Christmas, excuse uh, me, the day after Christmas, I spent a significant amount of time with my absolutely adorable nine-year-old niece trying to put together an artist easel which I am convinced did not come with all of the necessary instructions. <laughs> So much so that her 11-year-old brother, my nephew, who's a whiz in his own right, was online Googling, trying to find somewhere the hidden instructions. So I suppose it, it personified, it exemplified in the fullest measure that even when we get amazing gifts that bring us joy, some assembly is required. So I think about this gift of love that we're talking about today, this gift that brings us such joy. And as we stand before it and as we try to figure out how to truly take it all in, maybe what Paul is saying to us in this passage as he writes to the church at Colossae is that if you're going to be true and real about this love, if it's not just going to be a theory and some abstraction, some assembly is required. So so the question, the driving question for me in the the, the glow of this gift is how does the gift of God's presence, the gift of God's love, take hold in the world, take hold in our community, and take hold of me? It's easy to stay in the world of metaphor. It's easy to just kind of be abstract about this thing. You know, uh, when I um, served as a pastor in Washington and I would meet with uh, couples before um, they, they married, one of the things that I would do, one exercise I would have is I would ask them to describe how they loved one another without using the word love. And what it caused them to do, and hopefully what it cause maybe us to do in, the, in these few moments, is to search for those ways in which love becomes something far more than a wonderful, yes, abstraction, but a real and concrete reality. And again, that's what's being said here. You've got to make it real. Not exactly the, the song to use in the context of a Christmas Tide sermon, but one of my favorite musicians, Les McCann, had a song that he said, You've got to make it real compared to what? And that's as far as I'll quote that for right now. <laughs> But the point is, is that we've got to make this real. So how does the gift of God's presence take hold in the world? How do we make sure that we're not just living in the world of metaphor? Love itself is neither a mere feeling or an abstraction. No, rather love is that power, that real, that tactile power of God that has the capacity to bind all godliness together in divine perfection. That's why Paul says, above all else, wrap it all up in love. This work that we're doing that sometimes tires us out, this work that, that, that we're doing that sometimes frays our nerves, this work that we're doing that sometimes we don't see the end of it and we wonder how much longer we have to work, this work that we're doing, wrap it up in love. And then we're sustained and we're renewed and re energized in those places where we need it most. So, when again the, the, the concept of love is talked about here, Paul's quick to remind us that it looks like this it looks like compassion. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's easy to be caught up, appropriately so, in the work of justice. It's easy to be immersed in the hard work of laying claim to what is right and liberating for ourselves and for others. But if we don't do it, with a dimension of love, we can spend ourselves more quickly than you could ever imagine. If we don't encourage one another in the work, it all just kind of becomes transactional. So the apostles right. wrap it up in love so that there's a dimension, there's an understanding that's far greater than just doing the work, but being part of what the work means. Anne Weems, poet, wrote this a portion of a poem she wrote called Kneeling in Bethlehem. If the babe doesn't become the adult, there is no Bethlehem star. If there is no commitment in us, there are no wise men searching. If we offer no cup of cold water, there is no gold, no frankincense, no myrrh. If there is no praising God's name, there are no angels singing. If there is no spirit of hallelujah, there are no shepherds watching. If there is no standing up, speaking out, no risk. There is no Herod, no flight into Egypt. If there is no room in our inn, then Merry Christmas mocks the Christ child and the Holy Family is just a holiday card, and God will loathe our feast and festivals. If there is no forgiveness in us, there is no cause for celebration. If Christmas is not now, if Christ is not born into the everyday present, then what is all the noise about? If we don't make this real, if we don't make it our driving force and factor, the love that should define us in how we engage with each other, the love that defines and how we look to the world, how we're seen by the world, the compelling reality is that the power of our work robed in love has to be real. It can't be theoretical. It can't be abstract. It has to be concrete and lived out. You know why? Sadly, Because divisiveness is real and concrete. Racism is real and concrete. Classism and homophobia and misogyny are not abstractions. They are painfully real. And the callousness of those in leadership, we're reminded of again day in and day out by 140 plus characters, that it is real. And we can't face that with abstractions and metaphors but a power of love that speaks into changing not only how we are able to bear witness as a community, but how indeed the world feels our presence. Yes, divisiveness and racism and classism and misogyny and homophobia are not abstractions, they're painfully real. And I think sometimes we have to be mindful of the collective psychic damage. Our mouths just, completed sadly and mournfully, shaping out the name of Jaqueline Cal Marquins, a young refugee girl who died in custody. And before we could even finish uttering that name in sorrow, now Felipe Gomez Alonso, eight years old, joins that sorrowful litany, met, by the way, with a callousness of a government that doesn't even try to have the pretense of showing care and concern for these who are vulnerable, these who look just like the Jesus who was born to Mary and Joseph. So it's real. I think that psychic damage manifests itself in ways, yes, in these sorrowful and mournful ways, and I think it even explains why, I don't know about you, but, but my heart was wrenched watching something that maybe in other people's estimations might have seemed mundane, but seeing a young teenage boy standing on the edge of a wrestling mat, having his hair cut because a referee decided that, that, that his manifestation, his personhood, his being wasn't, wasn't adequate or wasn't worthy enough to be in that moment. His, his, if you will, his black body did not matter. And it cut to my very quick, because I was seeing not something as, as, again, as mundane as some wrestler or athlete's hair being cut, but I saw somebody being marginalized with a callousness that sadly reflects so much of what goes on in our society. So I say all of that to say, We live in a context where our love can't be metaphor, our love can't be abstract, it must be real, it must show itself. In the way we treat one another in community, in the way we make our presence known in the world, we've got to move from theory to reality. That love is what sustains our work and our witness in the world and what binds us together. Like with those couples that I would talk with, I'd say to them, yes, love with adjectives is beautiful, but love with verbs is essential. Understand this morning, we're called to a love that is hanging, that's dripping with verbs, that's dripping with our action and our presence and our witness in the world. We can't wait. We've got to do, as Paul says, to put on the the garishly loud clothing of love. Now, I don't have a collection or actually even one ugly Christmas sweater But I'm kind of glad that that it's its own meme and it's kind of taken on its its own life. And there are places and times in the course of the holiday season where where part of the celebration is finding the ugliest Christmas sweater that you can. And there are some ugly Christmas sweaters out there. (laughs) But maybe in that spirit, in that light, we ought to understand how can we robe ourselves in love so that we cannot be mistaken for anything else but then the reflection of God's love in our lives and in the world by what we do, by how we speak to one another, by how we bear witness in the world. Love indeed has to be real. It's wonderful that Paul winds this portion up talking about singing, singing songs, singing spiritual songs, singing hymns. And I think what he's saying there is, is something that's universally understood. And, you know, I don't, I don't read music, but I'd be willing to bet that looking at a page a score of, of, of any celebrated musician, whether it's Coltrane or Tchaikovsky, would, would be impressive to see the clefts and the treble clefts and the staves and the all of those other things. And I better stop while I'm ahead because I don't want to embarrass myself. But that's impressive because indeed it shows the creative power and ability of the composer. But you and I both know that that music does not take on life until it is released. Till it's let go so that it can be experienced by those around. Even, even to the point where, where, where individuals who are hearing impaired oftentimes go to those places where, where they make sure that the, that the, uh, the speakers are, are such situated so that the reverberations... The music can even speak into their beings as well. Until it takes on a reality that speaks into our hearts, into our lives. Until then, it's largely theory. And in the same way, we can't just talk love. We must be love. Fully, gloriously, loudly, and completely. So, Yes. We are in the midst of Christmastide and our liturgical calendar will have us to celebrate the Christmas season, if you will, until the, the time of Epiphany. But we know that, yes, this joyous season as it, as it is manifested will, will draw to a close and the new year will unfold. So let's get ready. Let's get ready to to continue to step into the newness of a new year and into the continuation of our lives, wearing that which causes us to stand out, to stick out, to be an exemplification of God's love, how it has shaped us, and how it can affect the world. The great theologian and mystic Howard Thurman gave us some wonderful instructions for what to do when this Christmas tide moment passes. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost. To heal the broken. To feed the hungry. To release the prisoner. To rebuild the nations. To bring peace among all. To make music in the heart. Put on your bright robes of love. Amen. Amen.